Okay, today we have a treat. Another Houstonian, a Houstonian a Greek. Welcome again to another episode of the 1% in Recovery podcast, where we talk about recovery being beautiful, where you got to laugh every day, you got to work hard, and you got to love unconditionally because your EQ is your IQ. Now out is a recovery growth scorecard using metrics so people can get recovery faster. It's free. <laughs> Everybody loves something free. Free through the website, lifeiswonderful.love, or you can email me, hugov at lifeiswonderful.love. The whole idea is for people to start grasping recovery, start detoxing now, start healing as they start moving through the program or whatever journey of recovery you're on. Today, like I said, we have Alex here in Houston. Alex, how are you doing? I'm good, Hugo. How are you doing? You're doing well right here on Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> well, why don't exactly we start off? It. Tell the audience one thing you love. I I love my wife and my family. How's that? Hey, if that's what you love the most or one of the things you love, hey, that works. If that's it, what it, kind it of gets you centered. It's it's the one thing on this earth I love the most. I can guarantee that. So hey, family, you know, at the end, in the end of the day, family are the people closest to you. That's what this is all about. How we can oh, yeah. truly live. How not only the life we want, but with the people we want. It's important, right? Really important. So you're just like me. We came in about the same time. I just got 26 years. You got big 25. That double X with the V uh, looks good on the chip. But after, since you've been in the program 25 years, can you give any suggestions or what would you tell anybody, especially coming in now? What are especially about one or two tips that you think are just vital or that just really helped you and just, you know, kind of share your experience. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, you go, one of the things I tell all the new guys or new guys I talk to anybody who'll, who'll step in, it's, you know, find a meeting that's not super big where the recovery is serious and you can show up to it every single day over and over again so that people in that meeting get to know you and your name. Because that once that name recognition happens, there seems to be some air of accountability to go into that meeting. I mean, for me, it was um, it was a 630 a.m. meeting at Post Oak. And, and I was one of those guys where I, I, I would show up, sit through the meeting, maybe share if they were called, I'm called on. And then I'd split. I'd get out of there as quick as I could. And uh, there's a woman, if you ever go to the 6.30 a.m. meeting, uh, go to the light side, you know, the Parker has, has been a staple there for, you know, 26, 27 years, 30 years, whatever. When I started going to that meeting, Parker would say, good morning, Alex, and goodbye, Alex, every day. And I was like, shit, somebody knows my name. Um, so I had to show up. I, I mean, I had to, I was accountable to the group now. So that, that was, that, that's kind of, that was, that's one thing. Find a meeting that you go to daily and get to know the people there and they get to know you. Um, and, and the other part of it is go to meetings daily. I mean, if you really want to be serious about being, you know, recovery and, and not drinking or not using, 
I mean, you gotta, you gotta be serious about going to meetings. Um, I'm, I'm blessed. I have a business partner. That's also one of us. And, uh, and he'll tease me every once in a while. I'll say, I'm going to a meeting today. He goes, yeah, meeting makers make it. And I always found that to be kind of a funny saying, but it, it makes a point. It's a point that's well taken. Meeting makers kind of do make it. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's one of those things is one thing is, is just getting the knowledge just by listening to different people, but also almost gets you in that environment of, the literature, or like you said, people, as I always tell people, why do people, some people always ask me, why do you keep going? Cause it's family. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that's uh, considered family and it's something that's, uh, you know, worthwhile. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that was, that was the best thing for me. was, was, was going to that particular meeting and getting to know the folks in that meeting on a daily basis. Um, the other one is I, I did what people actually suggested I do. I mean, right. You got to have some you know, type of starting to, point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's sorry. But, but getting a sponsor too, and one that you can work with that works, you know, you've got to be vigilant in getting in touch with sponsors. Sponsors generally want to see you serious about what you're doing before they, before they really, you know, I said before they commit, they're already committed, but, but they want to see you reach out to them. But, getting a sponsor and then, and then working through the steps as suggested. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of those things are keys, you know, getting, letting people know you or you're not, cause that's the thing. Addiction isolates us and we don't want to get too connected. We want to just stay. Yeah. yeah we'll, 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 we'll listen to a meeting. We'll read a little, but the less we connect, the easier it is, is it, the easier it is to relapse or to not come back. And the more people know you, yeah, you feel like okay, I'm I'm actually like a part of a team. I'm doing yes. this, and so I think that's kind of very helpful. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of little things that I did to start off with. You know, um, now I was always a kind of always a a wannabe jock. So I ran, I was a runner and you, you know, I mean, you and I've met out at the park a couple of times back in the early days. And, and that running was a big part for me to go along with those things that suggest that were suggested. So, you know, the other thing along with work in the program, I, while I recommend, you know, a physical hobby like running or working out, finding a hobby that can also occupy your time, whether it's, you know, cooking or running or, um, you know, building models, what, whatever it is, find another thing to occupy your time along with the meeting time. Right. You got to fill that void. You got to be able to do something. Yeah. I mean, the exercise is great because it's those natural endorphins. It really starts to lower your anxiety or depression and it really, you know, almost gets your know, life back into you. Well, let's kind of jump into question two. Now, you have four kids and, right. you know, with the current climate, now you're talking anywhere from age 12 to 19, and with the current climate, you know, do you see anything different? I mean, does it cause any more anxiety or worry or concern? Yes, we have alcohol, but now we have so much more in terms of pills and in terms of synthetics, in terms of gambling. Tell me as a parent, 
what you see in the current climate with just the way society is and with addiction. I mean, I guess the difference between my being, you know, being a high schooler and college guy during the 80s, you know, you and I are the same age. We stepped into junior high in 1979, 80, stepped out of college sometime around 89, you know, 88, 89, whatever. If you'd stayed on that four-year plan, I I took a little longer with college, obviously, um, because of my addictions. But um, I, I think alcohol, while it's still prevalent, I don't know if it's nearly as prevalent as it was when we were, when we were teenagers. I mean, back in the eighties, I mean, you drink in age was 18, 19 and, and, and your, you know, your, your buddies that were a year or two older than you were buying beer for you anyway. And keg parties were, were the norm where we grew up in the spring branch area of Houston. And I mean, that, I, I think drinking was a lot more prevalent. Maybe even smoking pot was a whole lot more prevalent back then. Um, although I will tell you that, um, what I hear from my high schoolers is it's, it's not, it's not any less now to, to a degree. I mean, I think it's harder for kids to get alcohol now, but maybe a little bit easier for them to get, to get pot or drugs. I, I, I don't know. What I know is almost everybody I saw when I was in high school is the same thing. If you came from a, a broken home or your, or your home life wasn't the best or, um, you know, that your parents were maybe a little more lenient about things here and there. You, you had a tendency to be drinking and smoking reefer a lot more back in the 80s. What I see now with my high school kids, and, and maybe it's just my kids, um, but but their group, you know, my son has a, a, a lot of different groups of friends. He's an athlete. He's, he's also got a group of friends that are a little more, um, I guess, studious, if you will. And I see a little bit of drinking but I don't see a lot of drinking. Same thing with the athletes. There's one guy or two guys from that are in his athletic group of athletes, maybe three that are, that are, you know, I'd call them full blown stoners. Like, like maybe I was after I, right after I'd finished high school. Um, But, but they all do a little bit of drinking, but it's not quite the same as it felt like when I was in it, but I was also in the eighties. I was right in the middle of it too, though. I was, you know, I'd finished high school barely finished. And, and I was in the restaurant business. So I, I was in a place where drinking was and partying were the norm, uh, not just normal college, but norm period. Um, and and I, I don't see that from my kids, n- not nearly as much. Well, what um, about, because, you know, big pharma started being pushed a lot in the nineties. Do you see a lot more pills? You know, it seems yes. like there's a lot more access to all types of pills now that we really didn't have access to in the 80s. You know, and, and that I do see a little more of that. I see a lot of the younger guys that are coming into a lot of the younger guys coming into the fellowship uh, and the program seem to have a they're, they're more like they're more on the ADD meds. Like they'll take high doses of ADD meds to get off. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I was I mean. I, that was not my deal. I was not a, you know, I remember I've had two back surgeries since being sober and I don't think I finished the pain meds either time. Right. Just wasn't my deal. Um, you know, I, I have, because I'm an ADD guy, I have taken a low dose of, of ADD meds, but it's like my doctor looks at me going, Hey, you need more. You need to take it more frequently. And that guys, that's not my deal. Um, it, it just wasn't, it's not my thing, but 
with the younger guys, I see a lot of people that, that are abusing the prescription drugs. Uh, I see a lot more pill popping, um, more so than our, than our group, but our age group rather. Um, so it, so it has changed a little bit there, but by the same token, I'll tell you, it's, it's a little bit, I don't know. I'm, I got to tell you, I, I don't know what it is. And, and you know, my history, my, my wife and I are, are both, we're both sober and we've had that combination conversation with our kids as they reach a certain age. And my oldest son doesn't, won't touch alcohol and he won't, won't touch marijuana, won't touch any of that stuff. It's just not part of what he wants to do. And the funny part about it is the only conversation I had with him before he went off to college was, you know, two things. I, I told him I, I would not, I'm not naive enough to believe that you're not going to drink, right? Just no drinking and driving. The consequences for drinking and driving are substantially higher than when we were growing up in the eighties. Um, but, but he's like, it's not his thing. And I don't no, know I what it. happened where it's not his thing, but I'm pretty pleased that it's not. Right. Well, that's good. Well, let's look on to question three. So question three. So, you know, the recovery model from when Bill wrote everything, you know, from the mid 30s and when the big book was written, been pretty much using that same model now for about 85 years. And treatment centers use a lot of that kind of like a similar model. But there's also, you know, such a high relapse rate. Do you think anything could be added or tweaked, you know, to kind of improve the model? So either more people get it early on or earlier, or there's maybe needs to be some more accountability because it seems like when everything is put upon the newcomer, you know, it's just easy to kind of just like, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, it's almost as like it takes, it almost takes too long for a number of people to get it. What do you see? You know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if anything needs to be changed from the model. I mean, I look, I look at the other big book that I kind of walk through the, the, the one that's been around for centuries, thousands of years. And, and I'm, that book hasn't changed. And, and I think that the, you know, the the program and the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, I think it was divinely inspired personally. That's what I think. And I don't think that we should change it. Should we maybe make the language a little bit more approachable and understandable? But don't, yeah, but I wouldn't change very much about the book or anything else in it. Um, I think, I think part of the, the rate of, of, you know, the, the, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can make it, anybody get it any faster than they, they get it. Everybody's got their own bottom. And if anything, I think today, the, most of the bottoms you find people will go right to recovery nowadays. And I don't know if they have their bottom. I mean, I bet, remember, you know, you remember coming in back in the, I mean, back in the old days, you know, the old crusty old guys, you say, Oh, you still have your watch. You haven't hit your bottom yet. And, um, and I think maybe some of that's true for the kids coming in nowadays. Like, look, you still got your car and a, and a, and a, you know, and a watch and a, and a, and a house. I mean, you, yeah, no, you, you maybe yeah, but you do they your need bottom, yet. bottom before they improve their life. Here's the thing. So I see a lot like on social media, you know, all these people talking and it's, it's, it, I'm kind of like unknown about what to say. You know, when people say, well, I'm sober curious 
or I'm going to do dry January, you know, like they're going about to start the gym. And I'm like, man, if you, and, or people will ask, I'm not, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or if I drink too much. And I always say, man, if you're asking those questions, you probably have to do some much, some more research because, you know, it's almost like they want to do moderate, they, without saying it, they want to do moderation drinking. They know they have to cut back. They're so afraid to not drink ever again. And I just say, look, when I first came in, all I said is I'm not drinking today. I say, do not overwhelm yourself. Don't don't say that you're yeah. never going to drink again. Why don't you get more information? Because that's to me, instead of trying to ask questions and so, so sober curious, but I'm kind of curious, what are you hearing those words? Sober curious, dry January, moderation drinking. I'm never, I don't know if I want to drink ever again. What do you say? You know what? You probably need to go out and try some more controlled drinking because I've earned my right to sit in this chair because I know what I'm like when I control drink. It doesn't work for me, right? I couldn't do sober January. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's God. It, it, I, I, it, and I don't want to. I don't want to begrudge these people for giving an effort, but I just kind of chuckle in the background. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a drunk of a hopeless nature, right? I, I don't know about everybody else. When I got to this deal for the third time, Memorial Day of 1998, which Memorial Day then was the 25th of uh, May, I'd already tried this deal twice. I walked in. I barely had a, a job that paid the bills. I mean, I'd just gotten out of the whole restaurant thing. I knew I couldn't go back to that deal. I was driving a beat up pickup truck uh, with no air conditioning. Um and I was ready to try it all over again. The other thing, too, is one of the things that I learned was I wanted God to remove my defects of character because I knew they were glaring. I mean, by the time you hit the, the 31, 32 years old and and you and I'd had a career in the restaurant industry that I just, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was probably a pretty good one in, in, in the case of most people. But I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't function. And um, it didn't matter how much money I was making or if I was gainfully employed or if I was a functional alcoholic. I like that term, too. Um, I had I had to start over from scratch. And that's exactly where I was. Um, I commend people who can step into this deal and, and have a life and can and, and go, OK, I realize I need this thing to keep my life. And then they get it and never drink again. I've seen that happen. It's far and few between, but I have seen that happen. Um, and, and I think that's part part of it is maybe some people just aren't ready for this. Um, and it's commendable that they want to have a sober January or, you know, November where they grow a mustache, whatever it is that they want to do to pretend they're not drinking anymore. But the fact of the matter is this deal was created for people who who have a problem with alcohol and other substances. And it it really doesn't work that well for people who kind of don't have a problem, but maybe they do. Right. I, I, I see that a lot, but I also see people who maybe thought they didn't have a problem. And all of a sudden, you know, they were drank fine until they were, you know, 40 years old or 50 years old or whatever. And the next thing you know, they're drinking like they're going to lose everything. And, and, and that's a different type of drinking. It, this wasn't created for people who just wanted to moderate, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have no, sympathy right, for anybody. Right. Because, 
Yeah, because sometimes a lot of people get into the 40s and they feel like, what's my life gotten to? And then they start drinking more or they get a divorce and then they get into all the grief of a relationship that ended. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can happen at any point in time that can cause someone to kind of go over the edge, you know, cross that line. But here it is. So we finished the three questions. Any last parting words you want to share with the audience, either just about recovery or kind of any other tips? Um, I guess I, a couple. I guess a couple of tips. I mean, for those of you out there that are, you know, that are that are in the deal and you're and you're trying to get it, don't give up. Don't leave five seconds before the miracle happens because it does happen. If you're struggling with God. Uh, and the God concept, because I hear that a lot. Um, I would I would recommend that you find whatever God or non-God you dealt with as a child or teenager. That's the one you're probably pissed off at. Go pick a fight with them because that's how you start a relationship. Uh, relationships are built by communication. And and this deal with this God thing is got nothing to do with, with uh, uh, you know, just seeing a figure. It's got to do with the relationship. It's not religion. It's relationship. Um, you know, and, and, and if you, you know, if you're here and you don't have a problem with alcohol and you're, you're kind of trying to figure out whether you're one of us or not, you know, the book talks about going out and trying some controlled drinking. Um, you know, I don't recommend that for, for, you know, recommend that very often, but if, if you're kind of hemming and hawing over the idea of whether you think you have a problem with alcohol or not, you know, I don't wish ill will, but, but this is a numbers game and, you know, when, when you, when you go out and, and give it a shot, uh, that get, increases my chances of staying and everything worth having in my life happened after sobriety, not before. All right. There you have it. Those are the words of wisdom from Alex. This will conclude this episode of the 1% in recovery. <laughs>